Can you just say testing one, two, three? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Greetings, Nerdcasters. Welcome to our special debate night edition of the Nerdcast, where we're watching from the Media Filing Center on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm here to help me break apart a key moment that we feel summed up the night's ABC News debate, which, incidentally, is the last one before New Hampshire Democrats vote on February 11th, is Elena Schneider, who covers Pete Buttigieg and the 2020 campaign. Elena, thanks for joining us. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. And now this is how you spend the Friday night. Am I right? Yeah. Well, there's nothing quite like being hunched over microphones in the back of a um, what appears to be some kind of gymnasium <laughs> on a Friday night <laughs> right before midnight. We're having lots of fun. All right. So we just watched this debate with about 400 other journalists uh, in this viewing space, and we are going to break apart a key moment. So this moment in the debate started with the candidates going back and forth about their health care plans. And Pete Buttigieg starts touting his perspective on things as a politician from outside Washington. And as to experience, I just bring a different perspective. Look, I, I freely admit that if you're looking for the person with the most years of Washington establishment experience under their belt, you've got your candidate. And of, of course, it's not me. And there was a line that elicited some groans in our Politico live chat. I'm bringing is that of somebody whose life has been shaped by the decisions that are made in those big, big white, white buildings. buildings in Washington, D.C. He gets into this line he likes to use over and over on the trail. We need a perspective right now that will finally allow us to leave the politics of the past in the past. Leave the politics of the past. Turn the page. And then Joe Biden jumps in and says, hey, wait a second. Don't talk smack about the past. That's my past that you're talking about. The politics of the past, I think, were not all that bad. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act. I managed And then that leads to Biden invoking his favorite campaign trail standby, and that's Barack Obama. So I don't know what about the past of Barack Obama and Joe Biden was so bad. What happened? Biden was his vice president, in case you haven't heard. But Buttigieg replies with some nice words about Biden's accomplishments and then says, look, things are different now. Those achievements were phenomenally important because they met the moment. But now we have to meet this moment. And the question is thrown to Klobuchar, who really doesn't seem to like Mayor Pete. Meeting the moment, meeting the moment. We had a moment the last few weeks, Mayor. And that moment was these impeachment hearings. And she says, hey, you know, stop, stop knocking Washington. What you said, Pete, as you were campaigning through Iowa, as three of us were jurors in that impeachment hearing, you said it was exhausting to watch and that you wanted to t turn the channel and watch cartoons. He was tired of the impeachment trial when she was saying, you know, this is important work. We have a newcomer in the White House, and look where it got us. I think having some experience is a good thing. So, Elena, ultimately, we get this moment of insider versus outsider, old versus new, old versus young, D.C. establishment versus not. Buttigieg clearly considers himself an outsider. You could say Bernie Sanders is too, but we chose this moment because it really did kind of capture Buttigieg and Biden's campaigns in a nutshell. You're right. So this is sort of the perfect encapsulation of what these two candidates are trying to sell to voters, which is a story about who they are going to be. Biden's telling a story of reminding everyone of the way things used to be in the Obama years and offering up a vision of, of the not-too-distant past 
that Democrats really loved and leaning on the favorability and the popularity of, of Barack Obama, who who uh, is often, in fact, the narrator of some of his TV ads to remind people how close he was to the former former president. And at the same time, we have Pete Buttigieg, who's offering something slightly different, um, but not all that different in a lot of ways from from the former vice president. And Buttigieg is, is also trying to use this as a way to distinguish himself, but doing it in a forward-looking way. Part of that is a necessity. He is young. He doesn't really have a lot of past to fall back on, um, and not a ton of record that he can even talk about on the trail. And instead, he's really tried to brand and package himself as somebody who can then usher in what he always likes to say, a new generation of leadership. This is not new. Uh, JFK was talking about a new generation of leadership in, um, you know, the 1960s. This is this is an old trope of politics, but each candidate can sort of brush it off and give it a new sort of yearly spin. But this is something that's proven effective for Buttigieg, especially in a time when people are wary of this idea of ever going back, in part because Donald Trump has talked about, you know, going back to making America great again, that there, I think, is in the minds of primary voters a little wariness about the idea of going back and Buttigieg pushing people forward, although he doesn't maybe have the record to then lean on, that actually might be a more compelling offer than what the vice president is offering up. And of course, there's there's some irony here of change having been Obama's pitch when he ran for president in 2008. But obviously, there's also great fondness for Obama in the party and large sections of the electorate that are supporting Biden, though that was not really evident in Iowa uh, this week. And and so that leads us to we have this interesting thing at the top of the debate where Biden basically just comes out and says that he got smacked in Iowa and he's not expecting to do much better in New Hampshire. This is a long, a long race. I took a hit in Iowa. And I'll probably take it here. Yeah, that was a really shocking moment. I mean, certainly expectation setting is a part of politics. You want to tell voters, telegraph to the media where you think you're going to land so that if you finish in fourth place like Biden did, that... um, you know, that maybe things aren't quite as bad as it feels like when the vice president lands in fourth place in Iowa. Obviously, he can't avoid the fact that it is bad, but certainly he's trying to set up the stakes for um, how things might go in New Hampshire here on Tuesday and more broadly sort of casting forward to these final two early states uh, Nevada and South Carolina. Those are the places where he really feels like, particularly in South Carolina, he's got a firewall. That's where he has this enormous block of support among African-American voters who have not budged from his side throughout this entire campaign process, even as candidates like Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and now Tom Steyer in a really aggressive way are trying to chip away at that block of support. That's what he's pointing to now. And he's trying to sort of emotionally prepare his supporters and his donors that he may not end up well here. But it's still nonetheless sort of a a head turning moment to actually see someone say it on the debate stage. Yeah. And uh, we should also mention this moment that we picked kind of distilled Biden's campaign pitch. It distilled Buttigieg's campaign pitch. But this debate also featured moments highlighting some of Buttigieg's most serious weaknesses even in this week where he's riding as high as ever, right? Off that big finish in Iowa, shooting up in the polls in New Hampshire. And I'm talking about what looked like real discomfort on his part, talking about the record of arrests of black people in South Bend for marijuana possession while he was mayor. Uh, After earlier in the debate, he, he had said that he wants to stop sending people to prison for using drugs. Right. So Pete has not been able to satisfactorily answer questions around his record in South Bend, particularly as it relates to his lack of support 
among some African-American activists, but particularly around his record with the South Bend Police Department, um, the firing, the controversial firing of the first black police chief. There, it's, it's, a, it's been a rolling and constant issue that has sort of dogged his campaign since, since June, and it's something that has really held back his ability to even sort of ride any kind of like forceful momentum out of Iowa because there is this awareness that down the line there are much more diverse states in Nevada and South Carolina and there's been no clear movement yet and granted we still got a little bit of time we could get some more polls showing otherwise but haven't seen Pete give answers give responses that is going that has shown that he can draw in voters of color and and I think that there was a a pretty brutal and succinct moment in which, you know, Pete was first asked about this, um, about these arrests. That disparity increased in South Bend after you took office. When talking about the problem on national terms, you've called it, quote, evidence of systemic racism. But you were mayor for eight years, so weren't you, in effect, the head of the system? And how do you explain that increase in black arrests under your leadership? He sort of kind of answered, but really quickly pivoted and didn't actually address the substance of the question. Well, the reality is, on my watch, drug arrests in South Bend were lower than the national average, and specifically to marijuana, lower than in Indiana. But there is no question that systemic racism has penetrated to every level of our system, and my city was not immune. He got pressed on it again, you know, related it to to, um, to gang violence, and, and the moderator then turned to Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren, is that a substantial answer from Mayor Buttigieg? No. And there were some cheers. Um, and there were even cheers when the moderator asked the follow-up question because you can feel this tension in the room. You can feel the tension of Democratic Party, um, you know, voters who, who who worry about this and who know that this is a weakness and see this as sort of the one thing that could could arrest any kind of momentum that he might have going forward. Yeah, and we also saw, of course, you know, Bernie Sanders declining to go after Joe Biden at one point, but then going after uh, Pete Buttigieg for having. Uh, billionaire donors, which I thought, uh, again, if we're picking moments out of this debate, said a lot about the state of the race uh, right there. I think that's about all we have time for right now. That'll do it. My thanks to Elena Schneider for jumping in here after the debate to crouch in this corner with us to record. Uh, Happy to be here. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Thank you for joining us in New Hampshire. We'll be back with you on Tuesday night, February 11th, to analyze the votes in the New Hampshire primary. We'll talk to you then.